0: We like to think we speak for the benefit of those who listen to us. But if speaking makes us nervous, we have to wonder if we're spending all that energy on behalf of our audience, if we're just worried about ourselves.
1: In this episode, we continue the story of teacher and entrepreneur Chris Doe, as he overcomes his fear of public speaking and begins to build an education platform. What mindsets can lead us to the influence we wish to extend? And how does our personal makeup affect our reach? This is a podcast about marketing, communication,
2: and the account-based mindset. This is Reach. Well, thanks for joining us for the second installment in our series on value and involvement. My name is Hiromi, and I'm joined today by CEO and agency founder, Jason Thorgerson. Welcome. And Chief Creative Officer, Garrett Krinsky. Hello. (coughs) Hello. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Yes. Hello. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I have a question for you guys then. Would you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert? Jason, what do you think?
1: Introvert. Yeah.
2: yeah. Jay, what's your uh, what's your Myers-Briggs four-letter oh. code?
1: I don't know. Let me let me look that up again. <laughs> it sounds like a rare disease, but I mean, <laughs> It's a rare personality. <laughs>
0: Garrett, what about you? For myself, like my whole life, you know, just doing that test, let's let's take that as a benchmark. I've always been E, 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 E. And I think what I'm finding is- as No, I age, you don't say so. <laughs> as I age, I'm trending more towards the middle and kind of like the line is heading towards I. I think in general, extrovert, but, yeah, I think it's changing as right. I age. As life throws its stuff at me, things are getting different.
2: That's interesting. How did you come to that determination? Like, what gives you the sense that something's changing for you?
0: I don't know if it's, as a 90s kid, I'm getting jaded. Uh,
2: <laughs> or if... Wait, we start jaded,
0: <laughs> 90s kids. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Now we're faded. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, no, I... I I don't know if it's a chemical difference inside my physiology, if it's literally like a skepticism or whatever it is, but it just, I don't seek this kind of public environment with other people out now. I seek more moments of solitude, but when I get in the situation, I feel it. Yeah, it definitely is still there. It just, the desire to get
2: there isn't there anymore. Interesting. Jay, what about you? Like if you were to consider the way that you feel about an upcoming social opportunity, can you break down what it is about those interactions that might potentially drain you? Mm. Have you ever thought about that?
1: Yeah. I, 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 it's interesting. Like I've heard that Yeah, introverts typically are drained once they're there. I think it's probably maybe more the anticipation, you know, of doing mm. right of, of going or something. I probably wouldn't seek it out. I find enjoyment when I do. Right. But Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I I think if I was to seek something out, maybe it, you know, it's like something solo, you know, like going hiking, going sailing, doing some activity, but typically with with ones you know, right? Right. Ones you love, love being around. But anything, if it's new, it's probably a little apprehension, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I feel like, too, as life progresses for myself personally, I find this like heavy anxiety of consequence like when you're 19 and you make a fool of yourself in a crowd and everyone's (laughs) laughing it's like that you don't really feel that anxiety of consequence you know but when you're like pitching half a million dollars in business to an executive team it's like (laughs) the anxiety of consequence (laughs) around that social event or just whatever's at stake becomes greater as you progress in life and so that might have a bearing on it too there's more at stake the consequence becomes
2: real yeah no that's a really good observation i think Mm -hmm. uh that the stakes are higher the older you get jay let me ask you a question as yeah okay so let me set this
0: up by just saying as an extrovert Mm -hmm. i feel charged up by winging it by going into a situation yeah yeah. okay okay so here's my question do you find as an introvert your level of prep is directly commensurate to how you feel going into a speaking, a teaching yes. situation. Yes,
1: absolutely. Although I would say over time, I'd almost do better if I was less prepped in certain situations. Would mm. It's just, the, again, it's the fear in your head, you know? It's like, mm. I feel more comfortable being well-prepared, so I mm. will over-prepare. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, so it, like
0: as an extrovert— especially early on, loving the challenge of just like winging it. You can get a little bit too confident in yourself because of your extroversion, right? Like, of oh, my personality will get me through this because I love this, you know? And then you get caught, and it's like, I got called out on it publicly, and
2: then it's worst fear kind of scenario. It sounds like there's two opposing ends of the spectrum where one person thinks... You can create something great with zero preparation and another person thinks, I have to prepare this thing to death because it's got to be perfect. Uh, Maybe maybe both sides are expecting perfection. One just overestimates and the other one underestimates. Mm -hmm. But the problem is kind of in expecting
1: perfection in a way, right? Like Mm -hmm. from either perspective, you don't want to look a certain way. But Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. does it really matter? Because, yeah, it's not always going to be perfect. (laughs) You're not always going to say exactly the right thing. But that's okay. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. it's okay. It's okay. Mm Yeah, At the end of the day, right?
2: Yeah, and I think that's something that Chris advocates for in a lot of his business training, too, because no matter what we're doing, we can't let perfection become the enemy of the good. Here's what he told me.
3: Everybody struggling with making content almost always has the same problem they want it to be perfect they want to do it the best possible way but you don't learn how to ride a bike by reading a book you don't learn how to play baseball by reading a book you just go and play and i think that's kind of an important concept i have friends who are creative people and they want to create their masterpiece on the very first piece that they ever produce i'll give you an example one of my friends says, oh, I'm going to do the most amazing desktop tour video you've ever seen because it's a genre of video that people like to see. It's going to get millions of views. It's been three years this video has not been produced because they set these very high expectations. The bar was set. They made some bold proclamation it's going to get a million views and it's going to totally crush it. And so every time they start that project, it's like, oh, this is not that thing. This is not going to get me those views. So instead of releasing and learning they're just holding on to it and it's not really moving much in terms of their own personal growth and development that's how a lot of people operate and so many companies especially in Silicon Valley have a concept and they put everything they have against the concept without ever testing it so when they go to launch no one uses it no one cares and then they're kind of out of business so the two founders of 37 Signals Basecamp wrote this book called The Rework and the concept is this instead of making one big gamble where if you fail, it's catastrophic failure where you, it's not recoverable. Like literally you'd be bankrupt or you'd be on the street. Have many small bets. Instead of having one 10-week project, have 10 one-week projects. So you just get the minimum viable product out. And then you learn in the failure so that each release, each iteration, you're able to improve. So by the time you're on your seventh or eighth version of this... You cannot fail because you keep changing, and evolving, and you'll get there.
0: I'll
3: tell you a little short story here. I remember early early on, I was on YouTube watching this video. Someone had sent it to me about a young man named Gary Vaynerchuk. He was speaking with USC business students. I didn't know who he was. I was watching him, and he was on fire.
2: You know, you know... <laughs> what i mean what I mean by that is that, you know, it's crazy for me that that word is now considered like cool and good. Like he said things
3: in worried, a bombastic, years, emphatic if way. Was
2: anything I could do that would be awesome for you guys it, to make the most money I could make, I would create a test or or a drug that allowed people to become self-aware. I think he was the able to recite
3: facts and you, figures and I'm quotes. And I was not so much impressed with the human part of him and literally what he was saying, but the fact that he could do this, and he chose to use those words, was very impressive to me. I remember thinking to myself, man, I would never be able to do that. That is so amazing. It's not for introverts like me. Here we are, eight years later. (laughs) The odd thing is people say the same thing about me today, which is, how are you so coherent? How do you have the ability to recall facts and figures and pull out quotes and be able to reference so many different ideas and people and every time they ask me a question I get snapped right back to me circa 2013 having that same thought of someone else you don't get there wherever there is by not starting here like right now you can't be thrown into a championship boxing match having not gone through some level of amateur or semi-professional rounds before you step in there because you're going to get killed the path towards coming to that realization is through repetition through making some pretty rookie dumb mistakes you have to get used to it right you need to just record and make garbage content embrace that you're going to suck that no one's going to care and if someone cares it's the worst kind of attention you're going to get so that you could get to that point where you can be much much more intentional about what it is that you want to say and how you want to say it so, in January 2014, we released and recorded our first YouTube video. to talk
1: about the business of design and the design of business. This is our first episode here at Blind Studios with Christo and myself, Jose Cavalier, where we're going to be talking so about. So, in
3: the very design. beginning, be we would business. do the minimal amount of preparation, which is what are we going to talk about today? Let me jot down two or three notes, turn the camera on, and we would you know, just let's talk let's get to right camera. Into it. We're, we're going to do three topics, right? Yep. Three topics, 10 minutes each. Keep yep. this short and sweet. Go for it. The first part is, let's talk about... We just needed to put in the reps. In the and it was unplanned. It wasn't like, like we had know, this master idea as to what we're doing. Mostly because my partner at that time, Jose... It's extremely talkative. It's very gregarious and an extrovert. Um, In my
1: case, I'm loud, brash, and obnoxious. And you've seen me make the mistakes in our political kind of interactions where I get a little bit out of hand and I come from ego versus coming from- Despite
3: being an introvert, I had been teaching for 10 or 15 years, so I know how to talk as well. I just needed to get comfortable with it. But here's the problem. In conversation, I could say something to you in the spirit of what I'm saying, and you'll understand me, even if I didn't choose the right words, my tone wasn't correct, right? but if we capture that conversation and we put it out in the world and we see this happening in political debates and conversations all the time anybody can pull out a hot take an out of context remark and then be crushed by it be cancelled because of that and people don't understand the intention and the context, which is not something that exists in normal life. So I think many of us have experienced if somebody puts a recorder in your face or a camera, you freeze up because you think to yourself, this will now be preserved for all of eternity. I have to be very mindful what I say. I can't say inappropriate things. I can't talk about something that can't be verified and validated. So now you're under your own microscope to know that this is going to be preserved. So the first, I think three and a half episodes that we did, I was just sitting there really tight-lipped, jaw clenched, and it caused some physical pain. When speaking to camera, I'll tell you very realistically, thought to mouth to words doesn't work. So the first part is get your mouth to work, which is a big struggle for me specifically. I felt my jaw aching the next day. I couldn't figure it out at first, but then I knew why, because it was so tight. It came to a point when my wife was watching the videos and said to me, I tried watching it, honey, and you guys, I just just can't watch it. And so I thought to myself, if the person who theoretically loves me the most in the world, maybe next to my mom and dad, says I can't watch your videos, what is the general public going to say? That was a big wake-up call for me. Watching the content back, we're talking over each other we're starting one thread and then we're beginning another thread. It's like we never have any finality. So. So it was called
1: Future Splash when it came out. What was it called? Future Splash. That was the name of Flash. And it wasn't even like, it wasn't, so you're even dating yourself a little bit. Now. Yeah. It was a few years later and then Adobe, not Adobe, Macromedia bought it. Right. Uh, the state of the and so we're industry not back then was everybody approaching the, out. It was the, wild the audience
3: you know, you with respect. You have to respect that they can choose to do so many different things. Why would they choose to watch this piece of content and give you their time? if you don't organize it, if you don't have a plan in place. And so that was a big breakthrough for us. My understanding of introversion is it's mostly energy management, right? So if you're an introvert, being around people drains you. So then you need a time and a place to recover and recuperate and recharge. So you're not naturally going to be inclined to be in public spaces speaking to a lot of people because that would drain you. And so when we're out in some kind of public way, we're going to lose in our energy. and You just learn to live with it and you build up tolerance so that it doesn't take you as long to recover. However, when you're around people you care about, maybe your family, friends, you would feel pretty energized because you genuinely want to connect with them and it's how you build human relationships. So there's not an issue there. But when I did public speaking, when I was in groups, some people I used to look at oh, it from the point today. of view of what makes them so different? I need to be see smart really on I need control. to I choose I'm words smart. carefully it's and changing. be funny and, so and be charming all right. and it's I want movement. to be the best speaker amongst all the speakers at least I don't want to be the worst and so all of these are like kind of I observations like I want I need and so you're competing against against yourself Actually, many people I know are extroverts and they don't like public speaking either. I talked to one of my friends who's a therapist and she said that if you've ever been in a relationship where you're talking to someone and they do not emote back to you, you feel really weird. Like, am I communicating? You'll get this feeling of being dysregulated. And when you're doing public speaking, depending on where you are culturally, one person is speaking and no one speaks back. So you take that same dysregulated feeling and you start to feel really funky at that point. The one thing that's really changed my thinking around this was purely accidental. My wife was watching a video and she's very much into spirituality and meditation. And so she's watching this older Asian man. I think he must've been a monk you speaking to this audience i catch a piece of it and just coincidentally just at the moment he asked the audience a rhetorical question do you want to know how i'm not nervous standing up here talking to you and then he said it's because in my mind as i'm talking i me saying a prayer for you it's like what a beautiful sentiment so this was like inverting the lens away from ourselves our ego being self centered and turning it towards the audience, which is, I'm here to serve. And as a servant, how can I do wrong? And I do remember very specifically where I was, what happened, and how it happened. I'm in Seattle I'm doing a talk for like Adobe Video World or something like that, and I'm one of the keynotes. Oftentimes, hours before speaking, I get a lot of indigestion. There must be some kind of crazy amount of acid, like I can't eat anything or it's going to run right through my body. And I get really parched, like dry mouth, the whole bit. My nerves are shot and I'm just feeling like I'm expending all of my energy when I need to be saving it for when I'm on the stage. when the speaker is nervous, the audience feels that and they tense up, which then reflects back to the speaker. So it's like a horrible vicious cycle. I tried everything. I'd go into the bathroom, I would do the vocal warm-up exercises. Hey, 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 hey. Amy Cuddy power posing, hands on hips, like Wonder Woman or Superman. It was not working. And I remember that video, that monk, and I thought, all right, dude, calm down. What is it you want for people today? What is it you're trying to do? And then I'm just having this internal dialogue. After I go out, I do my thing, people are laughing, they're enjoying themselves, and then I enjoy myself, and they laugh, and it's just infectious. If you begin centered, calm, energetic, and joyful, and with a spirit of generosity, the audience feels that they're at ease. The smallest things that you do, where you mess up, they'll go, aww. How cute, so funny, interesting. I like this person. And then you feel that and they're generous and then you're generous and it goes the other direction. I convinced myself, remember this, remember this. After I got off stage, I called my wife. And she was alarmed because I never call her when I'm doing public speaking. I said, honey, you won't believe it. I wasn't nervous for the first time. She goes, well, what happened? Tell me. I said I, I did that thing she's like what thing debunk thing and I told her that more for me than for her I wanted to memorialize it there's the beauty of speaking when you speak you gain clarity so if you tell somebody something you also record it for yourself that's why when one teaches to learn the student and the teacher so I remember that and I told myself if I ever get lost in the woods that's the breadcrumb to get back So now it's really strange to actually enjoy talking to large groups of people. I didn't think it would be possible to still have that public speaking fear. I'm still somewhat drained, but I just find personally that if I think about serving people and that's my main drive, then I'm good. I love that tip,
2: you know, and really the idea in general that our default state doesn't have to be a curse. We all have dormant potential that we can release and train with the right mindset. So since Chris is talking specifically about introversion, we wanted to invite an expert on the topic to give us some perspective. And we're really fortunate to have with us Dr. Jennifer Conweiler. She's a best-selling author of books like The Introverted Leader and one of the top global leadership speakers on introversion. Jennifer, you're the perfect person to have for this part of Chris's story. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today.
4: It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you.
2: So, Jennifer, how would you describe what you do to someone that might not be familiar?
4: Well, I'm an author and a speaker, and I specialize in unleashing the talent of introverts. And my goal is to shift the cultures of many of our companies to be more inclusive of introverted personalities. So I call myself a champion of introverts.
2: Yeah, I like that. You know, of course, there are a lot of self improvement books on introversion, but I feel like many of them are coaching introverts to become extroverts. Whereas I felt like your message was a little bit different that maybe we all have strengths and that we can capitalize on one another's strengths. Uh, did right. I kind of get that right? or You
4: got it totally right. Yeah. Okay. In fact, my subtitle of my first book, The Introverted Leader, is Building on Your Quiet Strength. And that is absolutely the message, Hiromi, Is It's about understanding, A, what your strengths are and owning those. Because introverts are oftentimes given the message that the way they are is not quite right. That they're not fitting into the extrovert ideal, particularly in Western society. But once you own that and you recognize what those strengths are then as introverts, it's taking a look at how you can achieve success using those strengths. So for instance, if you're networking, how do you do that in a way that's introvert friendly? You know, if Mm -hmm. you're public speaking, what's a way you could pull some of the natural strengths you have to do a fabulous job, which introverts do, but it's not necessarily doing it the extrovert way. So yeah, you definitely got it right.
2: Okay, perfect. So I think most of us are familiar with the general concept of introversion and extroversion, but there's probably a little bit of misconception about what those terms really mean. Would you mind maybe clarifying that definition for our oh, no, audience of as course. well?
4: Yeah, and it's it's morphing. We're getting more of an understanding, but it really does come down to energy and stimulation. And introverts get their energy internally and they can go out in the world and be very sociable and connect with people, but they need to guard that reserve. It's like a battery that goes down if it's used too much. Extroverts, on the other hand, are really stimulated by being out in the world, being with people and they need more of it. Their brain chemistry requires and demands more of it. So it's really just a wiring difference. There's nothing right or wrong about it, you know?
2: Yeah, right. That makes sense. And
4: what we're also finding now is that it's not either or, it's not like a lot of things binary. Most of us, probably all of us, I would argue, have introvert and extrovert traits within us. Think of it like a bell curve, yet most of us are clustered right towards the middle, you know, and there are people that are extreme, you know, never want to really go outside and call themselves hermits and then you have on the other side, you have flaming extroverts who constantly want to be, you know, the social butterfly. But I think for most of us, we can tap into both those strengths. And I think we saw that very clearly during the pandemic when the extroverts were forced to stay in lockdown and had to tap into that inner reserve. And the introverts really enjoyed having, you know, the <laughs> yeah. solitude and that quiet and that alone time to an extent after, you know, maybe six months or eight months or so. I was hearing from them that, you know, it gets kind of boring being in your house all the time, right?
2: Yeah. I didn't even think about that, how the pandemic must have provided a lot of new research fodder for you. Yeah.
4: yeah, It (laughs) it, it has. It has, for sure. And I think we're still researching now as we move back into remote work and hybrid and kind of figuring out how introversion and extroversion also come into that, you know? Right. It's one factor. And that's what I wrote about in the last book is taking a look at organizations and workplaces that have been ahead of the curve, you know, that were really thinking about different personalities as they were creating the design for their offices. And as they were recruiting, I looked at seven different practices and looked for examples of where companies were considering that particularly the introverts need their space to just think as one aspect of diversity, if you will.
2: You know, uh, is you're talking about the way that an introvert uses energy and the way that an extrovert relies on social interaction, have you heard any compelling theories as to what those processes are that are contributing to that difference? Like, what are some of those thought patterns that are causing a drain in some mm. and an energizing effect in others?
4: Well, I have heard from introverts that they overthink quite a bit, that they spend a lot of time in analysis, you know, so that that's a challenge.
2: Oh, yeah. Thank you. I'm I'm squarely in that camp for sure. <laughs>
4: <laughs> but also, one of the things I found in the research that we did in Quiet Influence, which was the second book that I wrote on this, yeah. it was really taking a look at how do people influence across a workspace and organization? What are the tools introverts use to do it effectively? Yeah. And um, I identified those quiet strengths in all kinds of ways, you know, like to float a proposal to write it down, to share it with people, to listen one-on-one to what the resistance points were, and to really understand the stakeholders and not just kind of rush things through. Showing the empathy, all of these things were very, very critical in them having success. They provoked new ideas. They challenged the status quo. They just connected with people in very meaningful ways so that people oftentimes say, my best teammate is an introvert. You know, I have most respect for them because of those qualities that they were exhibiting. But again, overuse of any strength becomes a weakness. So that was something we found that came up uh, continually.
2: Yeah. So introverts have a strength in their depth of thought and the consideration of details. But as you're noting, that depth comes at a cost, both because it's a lift from an energy standpoint, we're exhausted. And then sometimes we can probably get a little stuck in there right? Maybe overthink things a bit and that might inhibit us from engaging.
4: Exactly. I had one individual I interviewed for so the last book, a very successful HR leader, Pat Waters, her name is. And uh, she talked about how in that meeting environment, you've got talkers and the extroverts who like to connect by talking out their ideas. You know, right. That's how they get clarity. So it's a challenge sometimes to get in there when they're talking. But a coach told her early on that if she was in a meeting and she had a point to make, And she ran it over in her mind four times that she had to verbalize. But I think that was a good point that the introverts need to speak up. Another thing they do, I think effectively, is that they have people that are their friends or their teammates who they can even prep ahead of the meeting and say, look, if I'm trying to get in and you know I have ideas on this, you know, just pitch the ball to me. So they prepare.
2: Yeah, so introverts might excel at more premeditated thought over spontaneous expression. But what you're saying is we can not only prepare our own thoughts, but we can prepare others to support us or involve us uh-huh. in the conversation. Am I yeah, understanding and we that
4: can I- do it for other people. Like there's a big term now that's being used called allyship mm-hmm. and, and being an ally for underrepresented folks, whether it be women, it could be introverts. It's being just conscious of that for doing it for other people. But to speak up and to say, like, I know, Haroma, you've been working in this area for a little while. Like, let's hear your thoughts on that. So good facilitation makes a difference. I had ran into leaders who were like, it's been a little frustrating, but I'm only hearing from the same people all the time. But I I haven't really paid attention to that process. Look what I'm missing. And so once they realize that, then they start to put in place practices like, let's go around to each person on the screen right now and tell us in one minute what your opinion is on this. You know, yeah. just using techniques to involve and engage people. So it shouldn't be just on the shoulders of the introverted, but it should also be on the people who are, you know, in charge of running things yes. <laughs> or at leaders.
2: Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a two-way street for sure.
4: Yeah. And putting in place practices that make it easy for people. So it just becomes part of the culture. Like I right. give you one example some companies I'm dealing with now, they end their meetings like 10 minutes early before the hour. And one of the reasons they do that is Zoom fatigue. Right. I'm sure you've experienced that too.
2: Absolutely. So, but I
4: think most people really appreciate that. Like, oh, okay, now I can think about the next meeting. You know, kind yes. of decompress. See, what do I want to do as a follow-up? Instead of like having these meetings where it's just like back to back, the extroverts could keep going, you know. But it was very much helping the introverts to decompress. And that's that's just being aware of what, you know, that break that that introverts need.
2: Yes, being aware of the needs of others that that is very important and that those needs may not be the same as your own.
4: That's um, right. That's right.
2: In our story piece, you know Chris was saying that he experienced a lot of anxiety particularly when he was speaking publicly when he focused on himself. But when he focused on the needs of others, that anxiety seemed to lessen because he wasn't so worried about how he was being perceived. I feel like what you're saying has some crossover because you're talking about both introverts and extroverts being aware of yeah, the needs of right. others and maybe focusing on that more than your own needs. Have you yeah, observed no, that to be I'm, true?
4: That's that's really a good summary of, and I feel very positive about what he said, that, you know, you get out of your own head. Easier said than done. And public speaking is a very anxiety producing <laughs> process. <laughs> I think that um introverts can make incredible public speakers, but you have to learn techniques. In sure. the introverted leader, I came up with this process and model because yeah. I had written the first draft of the manuscript. My editor said, you need a model. I'm like, what do I need a model for you? But I was so glad that he pushed me to do a model because what we came up with is four steps, like the four Ps, prepare, presence, push, and then practice. Okay. So in terms of public speaking, you need a good speech. I mean, you got to have something that's well-designed, that's got flow to it. you got to prepare. What's the message you want people to leave with? That's all very important. It's like the script in a movie. It's not a good movie without a good script. So you can prepare the script, but then you could get there. And it's never going to be exactly like you visualize. When I first started, I was so nervous when things did go totally right. But I think once you can let go of that pass and just like, okay, I did my preparation. Now, I just have to be in the present. Gotcha. So, the next P is presence. And that's kind of what you're talking about with Chris. It's like being in the moment. And you can tell when somebody's telling like a story and they're just saying it almost like they were there, you know, picking up on your audience and having, like you mentioned, the conversation with them. You look at people's eyes and you connect with that one person, like he was doing. Like, Focusing on your audience. Yeah. That's what people want. You need to be alive. When I first started public speaking, I was like trying to look at these models of speakers that I admired, but they were very stiff. They memorized their whole speech, but that's not me. I don't speak like that. And once I realized that as a speaker, it freed me up a lot to be more myself. And I try to coach my introverted clients that you have to be you. right? And then the push part of it is really stretching, and that's going out of your comfort zone. And I'm sure Chris is doing this too. So maybe you tell a little bit of a different story and maybe it doesn't go that well. That's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, but with public speaking, you really have to keep it fresh for the audience, but also yourself. That's how you get better. Right. And then practice. You continually refine your skills. Like Jerry Seinfeld. Why should he keep doing comedy? It's so rich, you know? Yeah. Probably he enjoys it, but also he said... He goes on the road to keep that muscle going. So that's what we do, and we get better and better. And I think the introvert temperament and the preparation they do really does make them great speakers.
2: There's some really good tips. You know, I think, as you mentioned earlier, introverts can have the tendency to overthink things sometimes. You know, Chris was observing that our desire for perfection can sometimes stand in the way of doing anything at all. Where do you find that balance between preparation and practice? as you've defined them.
4: Yeah, you got to get out there and just do it. Look for opportunities to do it. You tell your manager, I'm going to do a brief report on the training I just went to, just like to get over that, because you got to practice it. I'll tell you a quick anecdote. That same editor I was talking about, Steve Prasante, is very introverted. And when he was working in the office in San Francisco, he took a bus in, I think, and he said, you know, everybody had their earphones in, and was like, you know, in their own world. He said, and what I was doing was... Thinking about, okay, what are the meetings I have today? What is it that I want to achieve in those meetings? What is it I want to learn? You know, he asked himself a few questions to get himself kind of ready. And I remember all of us who work with him (laughs) were so prepared. And that's why he had the respect and that's why he built a very successful publishing company. Oh yeah. And part of that is, you know, the fact that he did constantly refine and practice and prepare so again using all of those skills yeah so what have you seen with Chris like he's a successful speaker now then
2: yes yeah, yeah. and you know I see traits in him that I'm like wow I I I wish I had some of those qualities but mm-hmm. you know he says the same thing that he felt that way at one time and yeah and that actually really made me think about something that I've heard you mention in other interviews Jennifer which is the statement that Carl young made about how your introverted and extroverted tendencies can actually flip
4: halfway through life is that Right, He wrote about that. Right. And that always stuck with me for years because I noticed that in myself. First of all, he said nobody's a pure introvert, which I think is great. And he said that, yeah, in the second half of life, we do kind of move to the other side. We don't completely change, but we become more nuanced. And I think part of that is just experience You know Part of what we're involved with right now I'm working on a project on quiet men That you might be interested in, homie With oh, yeah. men who have been brought up Asian American And some of them have been taught You know, their culture says You shouldn't be the loudest one in the room You know, people were labeled as shy Which was seen as a very pejorative term Like, you know, it right. was not a positive And they don't see themselves as shy anymore It's really key with all of this to keep learning and to keep developing. We get better at it as we get older because we've had more experience.
2: Well, thanks so much to Dr. Kahnweiler for sharing some of her expertise with us this week. If you'd like more resources on harnessing the power of introverts in your organization, be sure to visit her website, jenniferkahnweiler.com. Chris has shared with us some invaluable tips of his own on reaching his full potential and engaging audiences. In our next installment in the series, he describes how the
3: right questions led to his discovery of a new education platform. It's like either school is failing you or maybe we started to figure out a way to teach that makes it work for people. We'll also be speaking with a senior marketing and communications executive
2: at Cisco to discover how the value of involvement affects decisions even at a fortune 100 company. Be sure to subscribe so you'll be with us next time on
1: Reach.